Are nanobubbles the secret to optimal health, wellness, and mental performance? Over a thousand scientific studies say yes. Molecular hydrogen, or nanobubbles, produce the number one cause of cognitive decline, premature aging, and tired-looking skin by destroying the most damaging free radicals. Vital reaction hydrogen tablets transform ordinary water, or any non-carbonated drink, into cell-optimizing hydrogen water. If you'd like to try hydrogen for the next 30 days risk-free, go to tryvitalreaction.com. Use the discount code GENIUS to save 20% on your first order. Note, all orders are protected with a one-year money-back guarantee and include free shipping. So use the code GENIUS to save 20% on your first purchase at tryvitalreaction.com. Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have Lorna Ryan. Uh, she's a UK-based registered clinical nutritionist, uh, nutrition therapy and lifestyle practitioner. And uh, we're going to talk about a syndrome called a hypermobility spectrum disorder, also known as Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. It affects the, the connective tissues of, of people. So, Lorna, thanks for coming. You're most welcome. It's such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah, tell me a bit about your background. Usually, from what I've seen, people don't tend to specialize or focus on conditions like EDS unless they have some personal interaction with it. So, if you don't mind, what's your, your background and do you have EDS or how has it affected your life? Yeah, you're so right. People tend to gravitate towards the more rare complex conditions because they have a personal link to it, either themselves someone they love in their family, etc. So I'm hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos myself and had quite a few comorbidities that were unstable and needed management strategies. And then in the process of getting my own health in a better position, I was really, really interested in the nutritional interplay. And so that's really why I ended up studying nutrition and then have specialised in the area. So I see it from two sides, patient hat, practitioner hat, the upshot is I specialize because I've been affected personally. Yeah, so what have you been able to do with your own self to mitigate the, you know, the effects of EDS? It's really been quite multifactorial, actually. I think the first port of call, speaking from a personal perspective, obviously everyone's very different in their own approach, but it's the education. So I'm a, I'm a, I am a research geek, and if there's a problem, I like to know how to solve it. So for me, I went down the let's see what this is, get as educated as I could, learn, learn, learn. And once I understood the condition, and then I understood how maybe we can alter the physiological side effects, if you like, I tagged in with all the specialist care that I could do. And I let the medical professional help me as much as they were able. And then I then went on and saw dietitians, physios, and we had the whole allied health professional connection as well. And then it was really, for me, the turning point is getting the balance of living with a rare condition as well as the medical support. And 
really, really understanding it. I think once you understand something, you can see the glimmers of hope and the jigsaw pieces of how to be able to support it better. Okay, so what have you done specifically that's helped you with EDS so it's not as impactful on you? So for me specifically, and it's important to distinguish the personalization of Ehlers-Danos and hypermobility because comorbidities and presentation will differ so much, like vastly between one person to another. So I can only speak from what I did and also what I see clinically. But it's really getting the medical issues that are really quite paramount to your health from a safety point of view. For example, POTS, if you're going to be fainting, um, digestive issues if you can't eat, get them managed with medical care. Um, For me, medications didn't work that well. So I did use a little bit more of the complementary, if you like. So for me personally, I used acupuncture, massage, and then our physio techniques. And then I I went down the vein of dietitian support because I couldn't eat, actually. Um, So it's really hard to actually put in a nutshell what worked for me because it was, we're talking a long time span. We're talking about a 10-year time span from understanding that this was a condition I had and getting to the point where I felt that I was living well, managed very well and able to sort of crack on as if as if I didn't have a health condition. It's just something I needed to manage. So it's hard to pinpoint the exact things I did because it was a myriad of things. And one of the important things I'd say is a very, very positive attitude because our, our mind-body connection is so strong. And when you have got a rare complex disease or disorder and you've got that diagnosis it's it's really hard to stay positive and I think any of your listeners that might be affected by not just Alistanos but anywhere condition it's trying somehow to find for you a very positive outlook I think that was a, a that's just a very very important factor okay so what, what were some of the comorbidities what are some of the comorbidities that you see in your clients and what kind of strategies can you use to help them Yes, so comorbidities are very wide, very varied. Mostly in my own practice, I see a lot of POTS, which is an autonomic disorder, and I see a lot of mast cells. What is is POTS? What is POTS? So it's when your autonomic system can't regulate your blood pressure appropriately. Um, Your autonomic system is, so your nervous system is involved in temperature regulation, aspects of digestion, as well as your blood pressure. And so people with POTS will often faint, often have the cardiac symptoms of palpitations, fast heart rate, a lot of nausea, a lot of bloating, a lot of urinary and bowel dysfunction. Um, So it's very varied condition and no one person is the same. And we say in the EDS community of clinicians, if you see one person with EDS, you've only seen one person with EDS because it's so varied. So in my practice, as well as POTS, I see a lot of the GI disorders. So people that have anything to do with their dysfunction of how their digestion may work. And that presents often with a lot of um, bowel changes, diarrhea, constipation, bloating, feeling of fullness, losing appetite, nausea. And to some degrees, there will be vomiting, although that's when you start uh, having to note your red flags and pass on to a clinician that can support someone that's unable to eat solid foods. That would be a specialist dietitian. In my practice, why, why would why would someone uh, be un, be unable to eat solid foods? You said you had some issues with that. Like, what is that called, and what does that happen? So it's many different factors for an individual can be at play. Pots can be 
at play. Gastroparietis is a very common diagnosis someone with hypermobile allostanos might have, and that's to do with the motility. So anything from mouth to anus is involved in digestion, and there's different motility speeds. And sometimes if the stomach is slow to empty, which is called delayed gastric emptying, or any of the motility through the digestion, all of your small intestine, large intestine, colon, if it's slower and the food can't move through at an appropriate time, that then can have an onward effect on someone's ability to eat, both in how they're feeling, so their reported sensations of eating because they feel full, they feel sick, it's uncomfortable, they may have pain from the bloating, but also sort of from a mechanical point of view, if something's not moved down, you just can't put more food in. People with hypermobility often have issues with their jaws, their MTCA joint, and that will affect chewing because there's a lot of joint instability. And so twofold, if you have slow motility and you have problems with chewing, it might affect your ability to consume solid food in a normal pattern or normal pattern for general population. And also with hypermobility, it's not uncommon to have some dysfunction of how different sphincters work. So esophageal sphincter for swallowing and uh, different aspects to do with swallowing might be dysfunctioning for the individual and all of this can combine to mean that someone is unable to follow a dietary pattern of solid food once someone does need complete liquid food intervention that would be only a registered specialist dietitian in every area of the globe actually is the only person that can support what we call enteral feeding so you'd somebody may end up with the liquid prescription drinks for meal replacements and then potentially go down the line of tube feeding or TPN. So it's very, very important for someone to realise if that is a trajectory for them, they must have specialist dietitian support there. And hopefully they would be under a gastroenterologist that would signpost them and refer them appropriately. Are nanobubbles the secret to optimal health, wellness and mental performance? Over a thousand scientific studies say yes. Molecular hydrogen or nanobubbles, reduce the number one cause of cognitive decline, premature aging, and tired-looking skin by destroying the most damaging free radicals. Vital reaction hydrogen tablets transform ordinary water or any non-carbonated drink into cell-optimizing hydrogen water. If you'd like to try hydrogen for the next 30 days risk-free, go to tryvitalreaction.com. Use the discount code GENIUS to save 20% on your first order. Note, all orders are protected with a one-year money-back guarantee and include free shipping. So use the code GENIUS to save 20% on your first purchase at TryVitalReaction.com. So what are, uh, so are these the most common conditions that come along with EDS, or are there other ones that, that come along with it more often? And then what are the, you know, the basic ones that come with it? Like what does the syndrome do to people? So GI issues are very common, but differing, you know, to the point of having real problems with eating is to one extreme. But just what we would call low grade symptoms that some people just they'll come to clinic maybe because of their tiredness and their really extreme fatigue, which is very common for hypermobility and Ellis for again, for many reasons. So they may come to clinic because they're just, oh, I can't get through the day without a nap. I'm really tired. What can I do to eat? And when you investigate they're oh, yes, I'm bloated, I'm constipated, but I have been for years. And someone doesn't necessarily connect the dots that it might be because of their hypermobility. 
And of course, there's two different spectrums of hypermobility as well. There's the joint laxity. It can affect, so hypermobility can affect anything to do with where your connective tissue sites are. So your bone, your ligaments, down to your organs, but predominantly your um, how flexible someone might be. So, you know, the child at school with party tricks could be hypermobile. So skeletally, they're very loose and lax and their skin might be stretchy, but they won't necessarily. And it doesn't mean that someone will present with more uh, physiological issues. So not everybody that has a hypermobile diagnosis will then have gut issues, POTS, anything else. It's where that sits for an individual, whether they're just hypermobile, which is the hypermobile spectrum disorders, or whether they are actually hypermobile allostanos. So a appropriate diagnosis is important for someone if they think they might be hypermobile. And they notice, you know, if they can, they're very, very bendy, and then they think, actually, I am very tired. And I get really bloated or I get really constipated or I have a lot of diarrhea or sometimes I notice I have quite a fast heart rate. That would be really important for them to see their doctor to make sure that they don't have an Ehlers-Danos syndrome. Why do people get very tired with EDS? Is it because they're, they have to contract their muscles continually and in order to keep their, you know, themselves from hurting themselves and that tires them out? Yeah, this is a huge question, actually, Richard, because we actually, you know, we as in within the scientific community, we can't unpick the exact cause of someone's fatigue because fatigue and energy regulation is so intertwined of our nervous system. You know, our thought processes and being very stressed in sort of our mind capacity can actually cause fatigue. But with someone that's hypermobile, we have a lot of sensory input and overload our bodies working extra hard compared to general population to stabilize. And so if we were talking to a physio or movement specialist that works with hypermobility, they'll say that, you know, there's a lot of energy expenditure just to to allow somebody to have that proreception to know where they are in space. So when I talk to clients, I like to use a perfect example of when you make a, a cup of tea, you reach forward for a kettle and you pour it your body's working double hard to do that in some instances of hypermobility and that can that can just be very tiring for the body um, physically on that sensory nervous system overload and then we have other aspects that might be interplaying with fatigue if you potentially do have some GI so your gut health dysfunction potentially you might not be absorbing and utilizing your food in terms of our energy, so from carbohydrates, our proteins, our vitamins, our minerals, our absorption. So it might come under an an issue of malabsorption, which is actually very common for general population to not necessarily be absorbing nutrients as well as one could. But if we do have some gut issues because of hypermobility, it's a little bit more profound. And this can also go into having some energy regulation And then someone may be experiencing extreme fatigue because they do have an issue with an autonomic function like POTS, potentially their blood pressure, their temperature, um, and then interplays of their cardiac health is being slightly affected. And this can be very draining on the system, um, particularly low blood pressure. For some people, you might experience real fatigue because you literally haven't got the blood pumping up. It's all sat in your boots, if you like. So the, the reasons for someone's fatigue is, very hard to unpick and a a really good sort of super clinical assessment can help with that and also looking at how well someone's sleeping so it's quite often um, the case that someone that has elostanos they may have a higher level of pain than general population they may not sleep very well for many reasons 
um, getting up to urinate frequently during the night, their pain, their temperature control can be causing them to have a, a sort of altered sleep-wake cycle from what we'd ideally say links into our circadian rhythm. And this is going to cause fatigue during the day as well. So we can't, I'm afraid, have a very clear answer of why does someone experience fatigue if they're hypermobile. It's really about understanding the individual. And I can't stress enough how personalised care and looking at the individual is important with hypermobility, which is a sort of blanket, broad conclusion for everybody just isn't going to work. Right. But the care is not going to be radically different amongst people. They'll have a lot of common elements. So like, what are some of the nutritional things that in common seem to help people with EDS significantly? Well, actually, we don't. So I'm chair of the International Consortium Diet and Nutrition Working Group. And um, within our group, we have a collection of nutrition professionals. We're a small but perfectly formed team. And actually, you know, we don't yet have a this is the diet that's going to help everyone with EDS. This is the nutritional intervention that's going to help because everyone's so different. Not only have we got the multifactorial issues of the presentations of hypermobility or allostanos for an individual, we've actually got the individual as a human being, you know, their their cultural, ethical stances, what, you know, geographically, where do they live? What climate do they live in? What's their personal lifestyle like? What's their job like? What's their relationships like? So everything interplays with everyone is just an individual. So I have a lot of people in clinic. I would not say anyone is the same. Everyone has to be seen through the lens of an individual. So, yes, there are some common factors. If someone presents with, say, POTS and gut issues, we know that looking to smaller portions and uh, frequency of meals is going to help. We know within Elastanos that we have to be supporting nutrient intake and we know that we need to support the gut-brain axis. So we are looking at sort of ensuring someone has got good fibre intake, which is a challenge when someone has gut issues. But we know the role of fibre in the gut microbiome, feeding bacteria. We also know the importance of certain nutrient groups like our B vitamins, our iron, our vitamin D, ensuring that we have adequate vitamin C intake for someone with Ehlers-Danos and hypermobility for protein synthesis, which goes down to collagen synthesis. Um, so there are some commonalities, but it's a little bit too more in depth than that. What we really know is that just a balanced, diverse diet, aiming to stay away from restrictive diets and optimizing our hydration and our sleep are the sort of cornerstones of supporting somebody with hypermobile allostenos. You have a lot of people that appear to have balanced diets, but they still have all these problems anyway, or does everyone really need to improve their nutrition quite a bit? Yes. Do you know, Richard, this is such an interesting topic because I, I would never judge anyone's diet, but a lot of people come to clinic saying, do you know, I eat really well, but, and when we really assess their dietary intake, not that many people actually, both in Europe and America, Australia do have what nutritionally we would class as a very rounded diverse balanced diet it's very common for for just human beings to get a little stuck in a routine rut sort of rinse and repeat their food choices and people don't tend to have a diverse diet so we like to ensure that we've got good protein intake and you know wherever someone sits on whether they want to eat animal products or not we can support protein intake we want to have really good carbohydrate intakes a lot of people have misconceptions of needing to be low carb or to restrict certain food groups and this then isn't necessarily the most balanced pattern of eating 
So everyone can do better, I believe. Even us professionals, you know, some weeks we look at, you know, I might look at what I eat and be like, oh, I haven't had that much diversity this week. And what that does is it really helps our our gut bacteria to be as healthy as we would like it to be because we're feeding all the different probiotics, prebiotics. And we're also getting a real range of nutrients when we eat very diversely and choosing a lot of different foods and ultimately having ideally around 80% coming from plants. So, yes, it's tricky because we don't want to accuse someone of, oh, you actually don't eat very well. But lots of people come with misconceptions. In my clinic, I see quite often someone will say, well, I'm following a gluten free, dairy free, low carb diet. That's not necessarily going to serve someone or someone said so. I've read about anti-inflammatory diets, so I've restricted a lot of what's on social media or Dr. Google as pro-inflammatory foods and they eliminated them and that's not necessarily going to serve them as well um so yeah a balanced diet is a a big conversation I have a lot in clinic and quite often we just need the good starting point of understanding how food works why your body needs different nutrients and where we can get them from and then educating people to widen up their food choices so what does it mean to do well on EDS versus not do well the people that are doing really well what are they doing and what's their life yeah. like versus the people that where it's not controlled? Yeah, that is a huge question. So I can only speak from my perspective as my personal experience and, and what I see within my working clinic and, and within our wider EDS community. Someone that has a diagnosis of hypermobile allostanos, maybe they haven't got to the clinicians that can help them from a medical stance. So appropriate referrals are lacking and that's very common time waiting times are long for a lot of people also there's not that many specialists and sadly a lot of people get sort of blocked by their first healthcare providers not understanding the importance of that referral and so many people don't actually get the appropriate diagnosis and then if an appropriate diagnosis is lacking they don't get the onward care so they might not have appropriate medication care they might not have appropriate physio psychological support if appropriate so for someone that hasn't been able to for any reason access appropriate diagnosis and care their lives can actually be really really impacted you know potentially not able to work relationships can be affected because they're living a life in chronic pain chronic fatigue having issues eating bowels and urinary function might be dysfunctioning to a point where they're unable to leave home may not be able to stand up for very long because of pots or other issues and so they they spend a lot of time in bed and life can actually be very gray and very miserable and it's heartbreaking really to think that a lot of people are suffering because they haven't reached the right clinicians and then if we look to the people that do really well the people that have had a really good diagnosis and they've got great clinical care good relationships with their doctors They've been signposted appropriately or they've found out for themselves through the resources that's available. Really good physio, really good movement specialists, nutritionists like myself, dietitians, even down to a personal trainer that can help them exercise appropriately and and take on board what the physio is suggesting. And then even massage, even realizing that maybe where they live could serve them better because of you know if we're looking at the nervous system and then people are able to live a very rich 
stable, managed life. And I sort of say that with my personal hat on because I know that I've come through that and and I'm living a very well-managed, stable, happy life. If you have got hypermobility, allostenos, it is a condition that has no cure. It's just about management strategies and getting on top of problems so that you can understand how your body needs support when things might flare up, if that makes sense. So the spectrum of how, to answer your question, the spectrum of how people can live with hypermobility and EDS is vast. We've got, you know, pockets of people in every sort of situation, and it can be from living their best life to living a very uncomfortable, lonely, unhappy, in pain place. And I say in pain, both physically and mentally. Uh, what happens as people get older uh, that have EDS, you know, into their 40s, 50s, 60s? Does it get a lot worse? Or is it just kind of, you know, if you manage it, you're okay, no matter how old you are? Yeah, this is an interesting question, actually, because it does depend on presentation. So if you are someone that has a skeletal presentation of a lot of dislocations, maybe you have some cider pots, it's to do with sort of that laxity in your arteries. As you get older, we naturally tighten up in our um, connective tissue. So, you know, if we look at general population, when you get into your 40s, 50s, 60s, you know, you're like, oh, I used to be able to touch my toes just a a little I feel a bit tighter and then people sometimes have high blood pressure that works quite well for someone that's got that laxity so if you're hypermobile potentially some aspects of presentation and symptomology might improve as you get older interestingly I have a lot of people come through clinic in their 40s 50s that have just been diagnosed so quite often people aren't diagnosed early enough and actually this is this ties into the fact that diagnosis has come a long way. So if if you were talking to a medical doctor, they have worked so hard within the Allostanos Society to improve diagnostic criteria, improve awareness. So there are more people being diagnosed now compared to, say, 10 years ago or even five years ago. So quite often they're getting diagnosed for the first time in their 40s, 50s. I've actually had someone in their late 70s that's just been diagnosed and they feel that it's been their issues their whole life so once you do have a diagnosis in later life you can obviously manage and get on top of some symptoms for those people that were diagnosed potentially when they were younger what it might look like for them as they get older is potentially some improvement in some areas hopefully improvement because they've had better care it doesn't necessarily mean that things will get worse I think this is a misconception as well within hypermobility and hypermobilis danos is that it's a degenerative condition and that things can only get worse. That's not necessarily where the research sits per se, but what tends to happen is you may, or rather symptom presentation might feel like it gets worse as you get older, because if you're in a lot of pain, you might not be exercising. If you're having discomfort when you eat, you might be excluding some foods and therefore you might have comorbidities associated with malnutrition or malabsorption if you've been in a cycle of a lot of chronic health issues that is going to have a detrimental effect potentially on more psychological components and stress living with chronic disease can have a snowball effect for you as well so we can't necessarily say a trajectory of how something's going to progress for someone as they get older there's there's a lot of factors involved and I know I keep saying that and I hope you and your listeners aren't a bit bored of oh it's the same 
the same message that it depends, but it really, really does because no one person's the same. I know everything depends, but again, there, there are probably commonalities. So what, what are some of the commonalities within age that you see? You said people get stiffer in general, but do most people believe they're degenerating? They have EDS or they're still functioning the same way or what happens? Yeah, this is interesting because, again, when I see people in clinic, it's dependent on the level of input they've had. I do have a lot of people come through and their the belief system that they have of their condition, particularly from a gastric point of view, is that, oh, well, I'm going to end up not being able to eat or I'm never going to be able to eat food again because I've had a diagnosis with gastroparesis. And that's not necessarily accurate. Obviously, we we can't say how what someone's outcome is going to be until we start working with them because there's we don't know how their body respond also compliance the, the person themselves has to want to work with their their healthcare team so do the work in physio do the work in sleep wake cycles and actually do everything that your nutritionist might suggest will be helpful so a lot of people do have the, the sort of set up belief that it's degenerative and that it's only ever going to get worse And that's a very delicate conversation to have, because if it's someone's belief system about their own health, then it's valid. It's just not necessarily where the science sits. It doesn't necessarily mean that just because you can't eat right or or can't eat a well-balanced, rounded diet right now and you have issues, it doesn't mean this will be the way forever if we can support you appropriately. And it certainly doesn't mean that everyone with hypermobility is going to have to end up on liquid food and a tube feed which it actually scares me what I read online because that sort of seems to be the pattern yeah if that makes sense yeah very good so Lorna what's the best way for people to uh, you know that suspect they have EDS to start finding information about it and to find a doctor that will listen to them what's the recommendation there yeah so it depends what country you're in. So in America and in the UK and Australia, it's um, first port of call, if anyone's listening, is go to the Alos Danos Society, um, which has some very, very excellent resources. And within their resources, there's actually a sort of signpost clinical poster of, you know, how to have a discussion with your GP. Or so you're, so you're in America, that's your primary care provider. And it's about getting your GP to recognise that you may have this issue and then refer you onwards and to get an appropriate referral. And if someone's thinking, oh, it sounds like me, it's don't just Google because it can be quite scary and misinformation. Go to appropriate sites. So as I say, Ellis Danos Society is a wonderful one. You can go through the checklist. There's a diagnostic checklist that patients can read. You can also take it along to your doctor. And I urge anyone that if they feel that they might be hypermobile or have a presentation of Ellos Danos, and it's it's kind of what for myself and also uh, clients I see in clinic, people say it's like reading something and all the dots are connected and then the light bulb goes off and they're like, oh, ding, 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 that's me. And if you feel that's you, have a really, really good conversation with your primary care provider and you kind of have to shout a little, I must say, and get that referral to a medical doctor. It might be a rheumatologist, it might be a gastroenterologist, it might be a urologist um, or an autonomic specialist. It depends on your presentation. Once you get through to the right doctor, hopefully they will really listen to your case, make a diagnosis if that's appropriate. Once you do have a diagnosis, then you'll be able to access 
other care providers. I must say, though, if someone does feel that they have issues potentially linked with hypermobility, you don't have to have a medical diagnosis to start helping yourself. You can still go and see a physio, try and find, a, say, a physiotherapist or a nutritionist, dietitian or movement specialist or psychologist that's EDS specialist trained. So on, again, the Alastano Society, there's a list of healthcare professionals. And if you just contact someone and say, I think I might be, is there any way you could help me? Because there's always some help we can give someone if they haven't yet got that medical diagnosis. Very good. And Lorna, what's the, how can people reach out to you directly? What's the best way? What's your website? Stuff? So I'm Lorna Ryan Health or across all platforms. So that's website, Instagram. And my email is Lorna at LornaRyanHealth.com. And I'm very open to sort of that personal personal communication. I think because I understand from the patient side and it's frustrating if anyone wants to reach out and message or email me so on instagram just send me a direct message or email me always allow me at least two to three days to get back to you but that's the best way to contact me and i always try to respond to all questions i cannot give clinical advice on that platform but it's better someone contacts and doesn't contact even if i'm unable to help them in a message okay well very good Lorna, thank you for coming on the podcast. I know it's very early for you overseas, but uh, appreciate you coming. So thank you. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having this topic as your discussion point. It's very important to keep the conversation about it going. So thank you so much, Richard. Are nanobubbles the secret to optimal health, wellness, and mental performance? Over a thousand scientific studies say yes. Molecular hydrogen, or nanobubbles, produce the number one cause of cognitive decline, premature aging and tired-looking skin by destroying the most damaging free radicals. Vital Reaction Hydrogen Tablets transform ordinary water or any non-carbonated drink into cell-optimizing hydrogen water. If you'd like to try hydrogen for the next 30 days risk-free, go to tryvitalreaction.com. Use the discount code GENIUS to save 20% on your first order. Note all orders are protected with a one-year money-back guarantee and include free shipping. So use the code GENIUS to save 20% on your first purchase at TryVitalReaction.com. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.